Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from Manchester, New Hampshire. It is time right now that we bring this world together. We need a Democrat who is willing to get out and fight. The way we're going to win is to bring everybody to our side in this fight. This is Bloomberg Sound On. If you don't think we can get this done, well, we can. How are we going to stand up for the people of the United States together? Let's take back this country and lead the world again. It's within our power to do it. Bloomberg Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli, live from the New Hampshire primary on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio, broadcasting live from Manchester, New Hampshire, where we are less than, well, really, we're hours away from the first votes being cast in the New Hampshire primary. Senator Bernie Sanders surging ahead of former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg in the latest polls here out of the Granite State and... President Trump just across the street from down from the downtown Doubletree hosting a massive MAGA rally. We'll give you the latest analysis and punditry and that budget that the president released earlier today as well. Adrian Elrod's here. Fred Hochberg is here as well. He's out with the new book, Trade is Not a Four-Letter Word. Great book, Fred. Thank you. Thank right, you. Adrian, I saw you on Morning Joe today before I went upstate to see Senator Bernie Sanders at a campaign rally. Mm -hmm. And you said something, and I thought, I can't wait to ask her about this on Bloomberg Radio, which is, it really is about who comes in third tomorrow. Why? Because I think that if we come out of the first four states and go into Super Tuesday, or rather come out of Super Tuesday, and it's down to, let's say, Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg, um, those are two totally different types of candidates. And I think that a lot of Democratic primary voters are going to be looking for that third person. But the question is, who is that person? It very well could be Mayor Pete. He obviously had a strong performance in Iowa. He's going to do very well, um, we believe, in New Hampshire tonight. But his big problem still continues to be that he can't build a very diverse coalition, which I know Fred is going to talk about here in a second. But the bottom line is, who is going to be that third person? And I think if you see Amy Klobuchar uh, get in the top three tomorrow night, that's going to be huge for her, a huge advantage going into the next few states because she's not from a neighboring state. New Hampshire voters tend to like somebody who's from this region, from a neighboring state, as in a state that like touches their borders, um, which is why, you know, or close to their borders, which is why Bernie Sanders um, blew us out of the water in 2016. He should do very, very well tonight. It should be Tomorrow night it should be like a resounding victory, not a two- or three-point victory. So I say all that to say, who is going to be that third person that is sort of in this middle of the top tier pack right now that's going to be around after Super Tuesday. And that's why I think tomorrow night's third place finish could very well help identify who that person is. And if uh, Bernie Sanders gets a squeaker tomorrow night, because that could also happen, then what? Um, or loses. He could lose or just gets a squeaker. Well, that is not good for his candidacy. It certainly doesn't disqualify well, him, but I think but he's probably going to win Nevada. But Fred, you make a good point, which is the expectations here in the Granite State are that Sanders wins big. Again with that Granite State, yes. Oh. I mean, listen, he 
won by what? 18, 20, 20 points. points. Mm-hmm. And he was within a whisk of beating Hillary in Iowa. So, I mean, he is sort of the odds-on favorite in terms of having a showing in Iowa and New Hampshire. Yep. Just four years ago. Correct. I was thinking about this as we were driving upstate. Uh, it, it, it literally was picturesque. There was a frozen... There were signs to go ice fishing. It was picturesque. There was the frozen rivers and lakes. I thought, am I in a snow globe? I mean, it was be- beautiful. New Hampshire is such a beautiful, gorgeous state. But I was thinking about this as I heard also Nina Turner, who, of course, is the state senator, a uh, prominent African-American surrogate for... Senator Bernie Sanders, and as she was firing up the crowd at at the university where Senator Sanders spoke, and you know, I just when I looked at that crowd, I thought it is a mistake in the in the Washington Beltway, Acela Quarter media, to think that moderate equates to middle class. Am I wrong? Um, no, you're no, you're not wrong. Because a lot of those middle class voters who are voting, who voted for Senator Sanders in the last election, and who, quite frankly, across the street from us at this stadium that President Trump's going to speak at later tonight, they would identify as middle class. And I think that's one of the things that Adrian and Fred, you both do so incredibly well, is you understand that nuance. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly a nuance there. Um, I, in fact, I don't equate the two at all. At all. Yeah. Um, not not even close. I mean. You know, I know a lot of people who are not uh, middle class who are moderate voters. Yeah. I know a lot of moderate voters who are not middle class. So I don't equate the two at all. Um, but it's going to be interesting. That going back to what Fred said earlier, this is a state that Bernie Sanders should not win by one point or two points. It should be a six, seven, eight point win. I mean, you could even argue it should be a double digit win. Yeah. Um, again, if he wins, that it, it, a win is a win, right? For Biden, it, though, if, if he, Adrian... If, if he, he was on, where was it? He was on one of the networks earlier today saying that he could still continue onward if he gets fourth place. Do you buy well, that? I, I, I do, but I think it's a very, very, very increasingly narrow path to, um, to, to being able to somehow become the nominee. I think he would have to do very well in Nevada. Um, he would have to place in the top two in Nevada. Um, and he would have to somehow assure his donors. I mean, we don't know what his cash on hand is right now, but we know that it's we, it's how reportedly do you make, low. How do you make the electability argument that his real case is, I'm the one guy who can beat Trump, and you can't, and you lose three in a row? Correct. Exactly. How do you do that? That's why, that's why that. he's got to try to show, to demonstrate that my advantage here is Super Tuesday. But that's still a long way off. That's a long way off. And that's four losses in a row. That's just That's why I'm saying he would have to somehow convince his um, donor base and his voters, his supporters, that he can do that. And so far, I have not seen that from coming from so that So then campaign. how does Bloomberg do that if he hasn't even been on the stage in Iowa? Hasn't been Because Bloomberg laid out expectations early on. He made it very clear, I'm not playing wow. in first four states. I'm only focusing on Super Tuesday and beyond. That's what he's done. So he kind of gets a free pass from all, all of this. Now, of course, there is risk involved Huge in this risk. strategy. But they knew that going into it. Um, they you know, have a very uh, well-regarded analytics team that I think allowed demonstrated they could make that they could make the case viably for him to skip the first four but it would have to be all the, the cars would have to align now if you're Mike Bloomberg you've got to hope and pray that there's not a clear front runner that comes out of the first four states right that's what you have to that's hope for that's what you have to hope for and the media attention that look that Pete's got Pete's had a huge bump in sure. in coming into uh, New Hampshire already. So all of the new the poll that came out last night, and again, right now it's all about ground game, right? Sure, you've got to convince Massively. your people, but and there's still some undecided voters out there, a lot of them, frankly, which is kind of crazy to me. <laughs> but you've right. got to convince your people to get out and, and 
Mayor Pete has, obviously, this is, Fred knows this better than me, but he's got such a strong, very tactically smart team. Michael Halley um, allocated all the resources in Iowa, oversaw strategy in Iowa. He's doing the same thing here in New Hampshire. I worked with him in 2016. There's frankly no better strategist when it comes to figuring out where to play effectively in certain parts of the state in early states. Michael Halley knows how to do it. Take us behind the scenes, Fred Hochberg, from Buttigieg's political orbit. You, of course, a prominent backer of the Buttigieg campaign. Take us behind the scenes to Adrian's point about the ground game in the minute or so we have left right now. Well, I, I mean, I actually went door to door the last two days just to sort of see what it was like and actually talk to real voters mm-hmm. <laughs> in their living rooms. Love it. Or for delicious cranberry bread and water and tea at different stops. <laughs> Any apricots? <laughs> no apricots. <laughs> Fred Hockford uh, snacking on apricots in the show. I said, where's the chowder? We're in New Hampshire. Go ahead, Fred. Uh, and a lot of people, it was still between sort of Bernie and Pete. Yeah. And there was some, obviously, Klobuchar, I heard. I did not hear a lot of Biden talk. I heard. Yeah. But I think people, particularly after what happened in Iowa, the need for some clarity coming out of this state. All right, coming up, we're going to talk much more about the dynamics of this race. And just as a disclaimer, Michael Bloomberg is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Fred Hochberg's ate like five bags of apricots. One, here. one, one, one. You're listening to Bloomberg 99. 80 one. calories. <laughs> this is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the New Hampshire primary on Bloomberg Radio. Here we are in Manchester, New Hampshire, one day before the first primary in the most consequential election in the modern history of America, or maybe in the history of America. Bernie Sanders, the independent senator from Vermont who caucuses with the Democrats, speaking earlier today in Manchester, New Hampshire. Fred Hochberg's here. Adrian Elrod. Rick Davis just walked in. And you're not feeling the burn, Rick. Oh, I got no burn in me. Why? Uh, you know, look, the guy just got his kicked in uh, Iowa. <laughs> Rick Davis dropping bombs, getting me in trouble. Wait a minute. I thought this was cable. Okay. <laughs> Listen, Anthony, if you're listening, I did not tell him to say that. Go ahead. Christine Barada's up in arms. She's thinking, what's going on? Go so, ahead, Rick. So, so the guy's been campaigning in Iowa literally almost the last 10 years, right, before uh, he gets tied or slightly beat by Hillary Clinton and pitches a fit. And now he shows up, the king of Iowa, and and he gets he gets beat by uh, a mayor from you know South Bend, Indiana. I mean, like, whoever even yet. heard of this guy? All right, so you're not feeling that. And then, but do you think so? So even if he wins tomorrow, if he doesn't win big, you're saying that's a loss. That's what I'm hearing. I, I think he went into the week with a loss. I think his it, it hasn't stopped his momentum. I mean, he's got some some mo in in New Hampshire, no question about it. But like, you, you think about this in the context of if if Pete Buttigieg can beat him in Iowa chance does he have to win a national election okay so like i think that at some point he gets in a one-on-one race with somebody else and they'll clean his clock i think he maxes out at 38 40 percent you were the campaign manager to uh senator john mccain's presidential campaign. victorious twice in, in new, new hampshire. hampshire and that's what we i was love gonna, this so state. That's, you have a history <laughs> you have a history with the great state of new hampshire a beautiful state gorgeous tell us about the independent streak that runs through the live free or die state? Well, first of all, the one thing that you have here is independent voters. I mean, they are real live independent voters. They vote Democrats sometimes and they vote Republicans sometimes. Probably the most fun I ever had was stealing all of Bill Bradley's independent <laughs> votes 
in 2000 to allow John McCain to win. And Bradley never forgave me, but John loved me for the rest of my life, at least for us of his. And, uh, and so they go both ways. I mean, any given day, they'll be in a Republican primary or a Democratic primary, and they will have an impact on this election tomorrow. You know, I was talking with uh, Carl Cameron. I bumped into him on the trail. Campaign Carl. Remember him? Campaign Carl. He was in the back of our bus in 2000. Fox News. Yeah, yeah. now he's got his own website. But I saw him at the Bernie Sanders rally t- earlier today. Uh, Fred Hochberg, who's a prominent Buttigieg backer, former chairman of the Export-Import Bank, and author of the new book, Trade is a Four-Letter Word. You're, it's not. It's not a four-letter <laughs> word. But you've always, i got to tell you, your Which title. Which four-letter word would you like me to use next? No, none. <laughs> none of them. <laughs> Chowder. Um, uh, Fred, your title keeps getting longer and longer. Anyway, uh, but he was saying he was really bullish on Buttigieg and really said that he feel, felt uh, that the New Hampshire, just from his sense, spider sense, campaign Carl's on the, on the ground, that, that Buttigieg had a lot of momentum. But here's the thing that I find interesting. You and I were talking about this a bit. Buttigieg has largely been able to escape the debate of whether or not he's a democratic socialist or a moderate. In a way, like Elizabeth Warren's had to say she's a unifying candidate. Buttigieg is just saying, hey, I'm, it's time to turn the page. I'm a new generation. Well, yes, and I was just going to add to what Rick said. By the way, I, I, when I went door to door, there were a lot of people who are really still undecided. So I think these polls are very fluid. There's just too many people who are undecided. Or when I would see a husband and wife, one would talk, the other one would be quiet. So I just think there's, there's a lot of fluidity going on in the next 24 hours. And it's no surprise that Donald Trump is across the street trying to sort of stomp on the entire so, story. So, Adrian, and that's where I want to come to you. In the break, we talked about Paul Wellstone's protege, Amy Klobuchar. Mm-hmm. Someone who, when I when I saw her on the stump, you know, I've covered her for about a decade in Congress, and she's she's... You know, Rick Davis might cringe at this, but she's one of those senators who would get along with John McCain, who would get stuff done. Exactly, they were best of friends, and they and they were able, you know, to reach across the aisle and and part of the club as it is in in, in the uh, upper chamber. But when I saw her and listened to her on the stump, and she was saying, essentially, if you're a moderate, you have a home with me. And she was talking about her personal narrative, very different than Pete Buttigieg's personal narrative. But she talked about, you know, uh, seeing her family members go into a coal mine. And she talked about her father overcoming alcoholism. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was really, really riveting to see her in. She's got an amazing personal story. Amazing personal story. And And she had a very strong showing in the debate on Friday. Yeah, she did. And she also raised a ton of money out of that strong showing. I think she's raised three million dollars, she says, her campaign says, since that debate, which is which is great for her and will help sustain her campaign going forward. I mean, look, she's got a great narrative. People are catching on. She's getting more and more support. This new poll that came out shows her in third place, um, you know, by a substantial margin. Um, But her biggest challenge, I think, frankly, is her campaign is now catching up to... You know, they've got to now catch up to where she is in the polls, right? Like, right. she's got a strong campaign staff, but she has not had the been able to financially make the investments that she needed to make in some of these early states. I think that's what we saw in Iowa. And I think perhaps we'll see what happens in New Hampshire. Um, but she's not been able to hire the top-notch staff that some other campaigns have. She's not been able to hire her version of the Michael Halley here in New Hampshire. Um, it doesn't mean that she doesn't have a strong campaign team, but when you are running this close, especially neck and neck with a couple other folks, having a field operation that knows how to strategically you know, place resources to get you over that hump and to get you into you know, maybe second place What's her is really pivotal. What's her play? Nevada? Where, where would she play well? Nevada? South Carolina? Well, I mean, that's the that's question. That's the question. Well, but she 
she's got a one-state campaign, and that's New Hampshire, right? Right. If she doesn't come out in, you know, third place or tied for third, you know, as as you say, there's no lifeline to South Carolina and Nevada. She has no staff really there to say. She hasn't been spending money there. She hasn't got it to spend. She's taken that three million she just got and plowing it into this state to try and get that number. If she does well, if she exceeds expectation, she'll continue to raise money on the run and she'll spend it on the run. I right? want to. I want to. Exactly. So we're about to all turn our focus after Nevada to uh, uh, to South Carolina. And a state, obviously, where there's a lot of uh, African-American support. The expectation is for Judge to perform with no African-American support. So any African-American support that he would get would be strong. Biden's saying that he's got a firewall in South Carolina. But you know what else we haven't talked about are veterans. Because you go to South Carolina, and there are there is a massive veteran military uh, uh, force down in South Carolina. And the one candidate who largest we haven't heard— Largest per capita in the United largest States. Largest per capita. I think you told me that this morning, Rick. Uh, in the United States. And the one thing we haven't heard people to judge talk a lot about quickly is, Fred, is his military experience. I think military and religion. This right. Is, he's a deeply religious yeah. person who— this is a, genuinely goes to church every week, not like Donald Trump's faux religiosity. Mm-hmm. So. Hey, don't you, you can't? I'm Catholic. You can't talk. You, who are we? Religion to judge is somewhere? not a political issue. Exactly. Right. Coming up, much more dynamics of the race in Chowder Country. I won't say the Grand State, Fred. With uh, the panel, I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the New Hampshire primary on Bloomberg Radio. The Senate may have been the jury last week, but we're the jury now, and the final verdict is up to us when it comes to this president and an awful lot of those senators. So let's make sure we use that power to bring about the change we need to see. That was Mayor Pete earlier today in Manchester, New Hampshire. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio, broadcasting live on primary eve from the great state of new hampshire here in downtown manchester rick davis is here he ran senator john mccain's presidential campaign they won twice during his presidential runs in new hampshire fred hockberg's here as well he's a Buttigieg backer and author of the new book trade is not a four-letter word former chairman of the export import bank adrian elrod you know her from Morning Joe. You know her from Bloomberg Radio Sound On. And, of course, the Democratic Strategist Insider, who's been tweeting all these memories of 2016, <laughs> <laughs> telling us about what you N- and Jennifer Memories are nightmares. Yeah, nightmares. Yeah, these are more nightmares. Yeah. Give us like one. PTSD. Yeah, give us one from from back when uh, Hillary in 2016 Well, your, listen- your listeners are probably going to judge me here, which is no fine. No judgment. But hey, this is- Bloomberg Sound On is a judge-free zone. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Jennifer Palmieri, Hillary Clinton's communications director, who happens to be one of my very close friends, and I were um, drinking at JJ's Tavern one night. Which this is the, the bar here. The bar. Yeah, exactly. And it was really hard to get a drink. And this was, of course, on the heels of Hillary Clinton losing uh, New Hampshire by 20 points to Bernie Sanders. Um, Those were some dark days leading up to this (laughs) moment. And we couldn't get a drink. And so Jennifer ended up drinking the rest of Congresswoman Linda Sanchez's Apple Teeny. Wow. 
um, that Linda she left. Sanchez and drinking I, an apple teeny. I drank On Monica Alba's. <laughs> I drank Monica Alba, Alba's leftover draft beer. There you go. There so, you go. Guess go. who just walked into the to this this. Uh, I feel like I'm back in Arlington working at the Java Shack because we have this setup here where there's like a counter and it's four political all-stars. Jeannie Zeno was having join, joining our fun. And you mentioned something in the break, Jeannie, uh, about turnout here in the state and how turnout is actually anticipated to go down. What do you know? Well, we were hearing that the the Secretary of State at first was predicting about 500,000. That's Democrats and Republicans. Then he sort of pulled back a bit and wow. it came down to about 420, which again is both Democrats and Republicans. And yeah. I'm obsessed with turnout in Iowa. I kept saying, you know, what's the turnout? And it turned out to be a lot less than they predicted. And as we look across the road and see Donald Trump's turnout over there, which people camping out all night in the rain i said i wouldn't even sit out outside for five minutes for my children in the rain so who are these people you know it so is. it's amazing and i think democrats have to worry about this adrian knows this and i've talked about it with her repeatedly offline as someone who was embedded with the trump campaign last cycle i mean to see that crowd across the street i remember him speaking in that stadium four years ago when the crowd stretched around the block and and whatnot the red make america great again hats mm-hmm. I mean, the enthusiasm is still there with him. And quite frankly, when I was at the Klobuchar rally, the, the Pete rally, the Warren rally, the, the Bernie Sanders rally, you could add up all of those rallies and it would match, Rick Davis, mm-hmm. what's going on across the street. It would appear... I don't know. Does that Trump, say anything? Trump holds the record in that hall. Yeah, he does. I was he there. beat out Elton John by wow. 500 attendees. Wow. And they say he's going to blow that record tonight. I believe it was there. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. That's an amazing statistic. Yeah. Elton amazing. John. Isn't Wikipedia <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> John? <laughs> he does love That's Elton John. That's impressive. <laughs> and he doesn't even play an instrument as far as I know. <laughs> well, and he always would say that it was like he would compare himself to Mark Twain back on the trail, which, right. again, shout out to Mark Twain. I'm reading him right now. But. Um, But in terms of that dynamic, I mean, I remember it was one of his final rallies that he did in New Hampshire uh, with the laser light shows. And he read a letter from Bill Belichick. I mean, and I can't stand the Patriots. Just have to get that in there. But you may not get out of town alive. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, we threw snowballs at Santa Claus. I'm well prepared. But in terms of enthusiasm, are you nervous, Adrian, as as a Democratic insider? I mean, you feel that there's a lot of enthusiasm on the left, but we're not, we haven't noticed it in Iowa. And and to, to Jeannie's point, turnout would looks like it might be down tomorrow. We'll have to wait, but I mean, sure, of course, I'm a little worried. I mean, that's anytime you can pack a big rally, you know, or a big stadium with with a bunch of folks, is you know, that's something to be worried about. But number one, I think we've got to keep in mind you've got to look at the actual strategy here that the Trump campaign is employing. They are not, and they have not done anything to bring in new voters. He's doubling down. His, his strategy to win here is doubling down on his base and then trying to suppress the vote on the Democratic side. And then maybe like, you know, churn up some, you know, you talk to the Russians and the Chinese or whomever else wants to like, but the point is like the bottom line is he is doubling down on his base. He has done nothing to grow his base. So sure, he gets these giant rallies. We know that his base is going to turn out for him. There's not going to be any soft voters there. They will turn out. So for the general election nominee, the strategy has got to be turn out the Democratic voters and then pull in those indies. And I think we can do that. And so far, our polling shows that we shows that we will. He's going to make an attempt to try and lure black voters that came through in the State of the Union. That exactly. Came 
And so he's trying to say to Democrats, maybe also it's a diversionary thing that you can't rely on that vote and he's going to put money there. But he certainly thinks he can make inroads there. He does. Yeah, but his, his, his campaign actually said in the press this week that he can't win re-election without the suburban women that he lost in 2018. And I would say, not trying to bolster the, the, the hopes of Democrats, but you sound like you're going to hit that apple teeny again. <laughs> so so <laughs> the one thing I would say Rick is... Davis is just throwing bombs on this program. Look at 2018 turnout. It was highest since Teddy Roosevelt ran for office, right? Wow. So nobody was searching for enthusiasm in 2018. Democrats picked up 40 congressional seats. They picked up state legislatures. They picked up governors. I mean, they had... Best midterm election in our history. Best midterm election in history. 10 million, almost 10 million more votes than the Republicans got. So what's happened in the last two years that would, like, change the dynamic that existed in the midterm? Yeah, the last 13 months. Well, I, I, I mean, I think one thing is that Democrats need to really focus on speaking to voters in the seven to nine swing states that will yeah. decide this election in November. You know, how do they get that turnout in 2018? A lot of talk about health care and the price of pharmaceuticals, right? And, you know, I am not sure, and I've said this all along, that the focus on impeachment gets you where you need to be in November. Well, that, to me, is a big problem. And we're past them. impeachment we're now, and I think <laughs> that once we get past <laughs> these primary states and past Super Tuesday, that you will see more of a focus and we'll pivot. And that, by the way, highlights the fact that only reiterates why Democrats have got to fig- figure out who their nominee is quickly because we don't want to go to a protracted convention. You don't want to approach the, nomi- the nominee needs to be decided as soon as humanly possible. I want to let's I'm going to quote my good friend mentor Tom Keen. I'm ripping up the script or as Nancy Pelosi, I'm ripping up the state <laughs> of the union. But let's go there Adrian Elrod because you just said you said you don't want to have a brokered convention. Of and there's not. all of this stuff, for lack of a better word, that's been thrown into the conversation, Adrian Elrod about oh maybe there will be one. Maybe there's going to be one. And oh, well, the media certainly media wants loves one. That. They How wanted, do you want one? They I, wanted I one last no, time. Let me tell you something. I do not want one because I like to sleep, number one. and No, but, I, but it's serious. They said the same thing last cycle with Ted right. Cruz. He had a Southern firewall. Ted Cruz, it was the Southern <laughs> firewall. He was going to be able to defeat Donald Trump. But I don't, I don't buy it. Donald Trump was on this radio <laughs> show. That was a great impression. <laughs> Stick around long enough. Uh, <laughs> four and a half years I've been chasing him. Uh, but, but to your point, you don't buy that. So... Go ahead. Elaborate. We've got to look at the way the primary map has been rejiggered this time around, right? You've got the big, two biggest delegate states, Texas and California, front-loaded on Super Tuesday. That's going to make a big difference. After Super Tuesday, when all the results come in, 40% of the delegates in the Democratic primary will have been awarded. Um, after April 19th, I believe is the day, we hit 90%. So by April 19th, toward the end of April, we should definitely know who that nominee is. Wow. Go ahead, Fred. Yeah. You had a point. Well, I've, I've lost it with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say about health care. Too many April I was going to tell about health care. I mean, of the 40 Democrats who got elected to the House, only one was for Medicare for All. The other 39 Absolutely. were not elected on Medicare for All. And so that... I don't know how that polls, but it, it's you know that's a Bernie Sanders thing. It is does not necessarily really especially qualify. again in the states that matter. These exactly. those purple that's states right. that matter. It's a hard sell to tell mm-hmm. 140 a, million people you're going to take their private health care right. away. And yeah. the idea of having to call the government about something with your health care, I don't really like to call the Department of Vehicles or any of those government agencies. <laughs> you call Social Security now. There's a 90 minute wait time. And you know I hate to uh, constantly throw. Uh, 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 fire on the wood, but or wood on the fire. 
But James <laughs> Apple teenies on James, the fire. James Carville, if you listen to him, he's making exactly your yes, point. He he's is. like, why don't we start talking about normal things that voters care about, not all this crazy stuff what that these candidates are talking LSU about? What he said about LSU football was right. genius. All right, coming up, panel stays. What's their quick take on the radar? Adrian Elrod, Rick Davis throwing fire on the wood or wood on the fire. We don't know. We don't know. Jeannie Davis and Fred Hochberg. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television. Jeannie Zeno. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. What is happening? And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Too many apple Kevin. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the New Hampshire primary on Bloomberg Radio. Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, broadcasting live from Manchester, New Hampshire, at the Doubletree downtown, where in just a few short hours, they're going to start opening the polls for the second primary. I'm joined by a panel of all-stars. I mean, seriously, how grateful am I? How much gratitude do I have that I get to literally get paid to talk to four Insiders who are geniuses in the political world and who. Who's he talking about? Uh, Fred, that's Fred Ockberg. Uh, well, I don't know about you. Rick Davis, Fred Ockberg, former chairman of the Export Import Bank, author of the new book, Trade is Not a Four Letter Word. Adrian Elrod, Democratic strategist, former director of strategic communications for the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. Saw you on Morning Joe every morning, really, now. Rick Davis, Bloomberg politics contributor, former campaign manager to John McCain's 08 presidential campaign, which won, by the way, New Hampshire. Hampshire's primary, and Jeannie Zeno, Bloomberg Politics contributor, senior advisor at Applied Economics and political science professor at Iona College. Thrilled to have you all. So, Jeannie, this is your first time on the Bloomberg Radio Sound On program. It is. I am a virgin to the show. What, will it be last? Will it be your last? I hope not. I hope you'll have me back. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> so we do this thing on the program called What's Your Quick Take on Your Radar, where you tell me one thing that maybe is is in the news that you don't know about that you, that you want or no that you know about that you think other people should know about. So I'm going to start with Fred Hochberg because he's been on so many times uh, and tell me what's your quick take on your radar. Well, trade's important to this state. It hasn't come up in the debates. Uh, Bernie Sanders made a little swipe at the two New Hampshire senators about their vote for USMCA, but this state does a lot of a lot of trade with Canada. Germany, not so much with China, but it's an important issue in this state. So what? How? How is it important? Elaborate on that. Uh, it, it, it does a big export. It does. It exports a lot of uh, printing equipment. Uh, one of the things I did see uh, in talking to some business people here, you know, there's some people involved in fossil fuels, and it certainly did pull that back. So that 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 industry is hurting, in terms from an export point of view, from a uh, engineering point of view. But this is an important trade state. And Not as important perhaps as Iowa, but important for trade. I'm struck by ha by the notion that uh, Senator Sanders still vo voted against the USMCA. Was is the only one on that stage. Even Warren voted for USMCA. Right. And that really has 89 senators voted for it. But, yeah. it's, but it hasn't been a divisive issue in the debate, which I'm struck by because it was a he, he was a he very much laid down a marker. He did lay down a marker and, and wasn't very kind to the two senators of this state when he did lay down that marker. All right, it. Fred Hochberg, he's author of the new book out. You have to go read it, especially if you're a trade nerd like me. It's called Trade is Not a Four-Letter Word. Thanks for your quick take on your radar. How's that for, like, plugging it? Uh, Adrian Elrod, what's yours? Um, my quick take is I want to know who's going to get third place tomorrow Same. night. I think that is going to dictate a lot of the future of the primary. Um, Does unless, Warren or Klobuchar have to drop out if they're not in third? No, 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 no. No, but I think you've got to worry about resources going forward. What about Yang? Them. 
Steyer. I mean, is anybody talking about Yang anymore? Saturday Night Live's talking about him. Did you <laughs> well, guys see that? I did. Hilarious. It was great. Math. The math, math button. The hands. The hands. But but look, I mean, <laughs> primary voters are re- they they are starting to hone in on who right. you know, the nominee is going to be, and I think if you are not a top three finisher in one of the first two states, it's going to be that much harder to go forward. Um, in particular, Joe Biden. I mean, what in the world has happened there, right? He was polling number one nationally just two or three weeks ago. Two or three days ago. Right before Iowa. Now we are seeing um, such a downfall. So, you know, I'm also looking to see where African-American voters go if he drops out of the race. Do you think Buttigieg is a formidable frontrunner? I do. do I do, but his biggest this- challenge is getting is building a diverse coalition. Do you think he could be the standard bearer for the party? If he can get blacks to support him, yes. Do you, you know, there are more black people in South Bend than the state of Vermont. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. <laughs> I just came up today. There are more black Fred people Ackberg. in the state in Fred South Ackberg, Bend the than there are in the state of Vermont. Interesting. So but wait, let me, let me, can I, can Talking I points. But can yes. I, but can <laughs> I just heard of it. Somebody else told me that one. <laughs> but, but in terms of him, 38 years old, mayor of a small town. Yeah. Mid, he, mid-sized town. Mid, but he's got no. I'm not, it's not a not. I mean, but I'm saying, can he capture the attention of the Democratic Party and say, you know what, I'm ready to do this? He has. He has. Yeah, I think I would argue that he has. Again, the question for him is he is he a one-trick pony right. in Iowa, and New Hampshire, which are largely white states, non-diverse states, or can he go? Can he take this momentum that we assume he's going to continue to have after tomorrow night? Right and take it into a diverse state like Nevada and a really diverse state like South Carolina. And the reason I'm asking those questions is because when I was at the Klobuchar rally asking about Buttigieg and in Iowa as well, that those were the that's what's on the mind of voters. They they're giving them a look. They haven't said no, but they're still they want to see There's a lot of intrigue. Yeah. Success breeds success. Exactly. All right. Yeah, I know, by the way, being a mayor is a big job, but he is the outsider in this campaign. You're running against three senators and a former vice president, right? And there is an outsider lane in the Democratic Party that doesn't have an ideological bent to it, right? Mm -hmm. So if someone's looking for an outsider, I think they're sitting on Buttigieg right now. Whether he can deliver for them, we'll see. What's your quick take on your radar, Rick? Uh, This morning, you know, President Trump presented his 2021 budget, and by now, nobody cares about it. (laughs) It's amazing. When I first came to D.C. like eight years ago, I remember it was like, oh, you get a floppy disk and you get a CD-ROM for for like the Obama budget. It covered the news, wall-to-wall coverage. But it would never pass. But anyway, in this budget, tell us what's in it and what what the roadmap is. $4.8 trillion worth of federal spending. Probably not something that's going to excite a lot of Republicans. But he he does a couple things. One, he cuts uh, foreign aid. Uh, General Mattis, when he was Secretary of Defense, said, for every dollar foreign aid you cut, i got to buy another bullet. So, you know, foreign aid translates to peace, which means our military doesn't have to work so hard. So it'll be interesting to see within the Republican Party, people like his buddy, Lindsey Graham, are going to be dead set against that. So they'll campaign against that, too. Also, he cuts $30 billion of Medicare spending. Now, he went to Davos and talked about cutting Medicare spending. Then today, they present a budget that does it. And then by the afternoon, the White House saying, there are no Medicare cuts in this budget whatsoever. So, I mean, he's playing defensive about an issue that he himself put into play today. And so this is one of the first sort of unforced errors that I've seen so far. And he wants to go to the moon, though. He's increasing spending for NASA. NASA and the Space Force. And the Space Force, and also increasing uh, funding for, I believe, defense spending. Yeah. Uh, uh, Defense spending gets an increase in spending, and domestic spending gets a cut. I think, I mean, we're getting way ahead of ourselves, so I'm just going to quickly 
maybe devote 20 seconds to this. I think one of the divisive issues in the 2024 Republican primary will be on government funding because that club for growth, they are ready to come back and say, why are we spending all this money? So I, it will be fascinating to see where the deficit hawks go in 2024. Great. Thanks for bringing that up. Jeannie Zeno, what's on your radar? What's your quick take? Actually, something that Rick and I learned about this morning, um, I spent a lot of my research time looking at voting laws. And one thing we learned this morning is that in 2017, New Hampshire passed a law making it tougher for people to register in the last 30 days. This wow. impacts a population I care an awful lot about, transient young people in yeah. particular. And I don't think there's been a lot of coverage. Certainly, I hadn't heard about it. Neither did I. But of, so course, did I. of course, since the Shelby County decision and since the over turning of the Voting Rights Act, states have been free, that otherwise may not have been free, to make these types of changes with little or no, you know, sort of uh, somebody to look over them and say, what's the impact? So I'm curious to see after tomorrow, did this impact young people, particularly, or other transient populations? You know, I will tell you, coming from New York, where we have very antiquated voting laws, um, you know, the idea that you would have to think to be registered before a primary, you know, nine or six months in advance is just not it's something no, my nuts. students would think about. Yeah. So to me, I think this is something to watch tomorrow that hasn't gotten a lot of coverage. That's great. And just quickly, I'll note what my quick take is, is uh, General Secretary Xi Jinping of China wearing a mask today uh, in China as he is touring some of the facilities as the coronavirus continues on. Uh, and, you know, President Trump's still saying that that the U.S. is working positive rhetoric coming out of the White House with regards to that as the markets are very carefully watching the coronavirus. Hey, this was fun. Fred Hochberg, Jeannie Zeno, Rick Davis, and Adrian Elrod. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So much fun. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes, Bloomberg.com, or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. President Trump's across the street. He's got a massive rally. They're lined up. It's like Mark Twain. Mark Twain in New Hampshire. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.